I would invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 will be in verses 10 through 12 today. And as you're turning there, I just remind you that we once again look to Jesus in his sermon. Recall that he came out of Egypt as God's true son through the waters of John's baptism from the wilderness after 40 days of temptation, triumphing, and now atop a mountain, seated. He comes as the new Moses, the greater Moses, with instruction for his disciples, instruction about the gospel of his kingdom. But with disciples comes expectations. The kingdom of heaven, <clears throat> the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Our king is here now. Oh, well, now we're going to have victory then. But why is Jesus seated? He's about to teach us something. We already know how this goes. Our king is here. He overthrows our enemies. Our problems are done, right? Doesn't he? Or do we know how this goes? Jesus' kingdom doesn't unfold as we expect. And we need to hear from a great and wise prophet, the great wise prophet Jesus. Let's read our text together. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray again one more time. Thank you, God, for your word. We love your word. We ask for your spirit's empowerment at this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, I received this text message from a friend of mine. He said this, hey guys, I have a big prayer request. The church that my wife is from, in a country that I won't name, and that I work with was declared illegal by the local government. The people in this church are like family for us. Please pray that Jesus would defeat the enemies of this church in a way that displays the power of God and encourages the church. Please pray for wisdom and courage for the members of this church as well. Persecution. We don't like what you do. We don't like what you stand for or who you represent. So we're going to make it illegal. This is disenfranchisement. This is discrimination. This is mistreatment. It happened in the first century, and it happens now in the 21st century. But our king has triumphed. So how do we respond to this? How do we believers respond in these circumstances? Well, Jesus tells us. We need to hear this from him today. He says, rejoice in persecution because it shows that you belong to him. Rejoice in persecution because it shows you belong to him. And I want to develop that in two points from the text. First, Rejoice in persecution because the persecution shows that you belong to Jesus' kingdom, his kingdom. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Whenever you hear the word blessed in a beatitude, I want you to think about the Psalm 1 man. Do you remember the Psalm 1 man? Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in all the wicked ways, right? But he delights in God's instruction. He's called blessed just like in our text. There's one called blessed. There's some called blessed. It's the same word in the Greek Old Testament, blessed, makarios. And what is that man like? He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. 
In all that he does, he prospers, actually. Blessed in a beatitude is like a well-watered, fruit-bearing plant unthreatened by circumstances. It doesn't wither, it prospers. Think happy, yes, but more than that, think flourishing, thriving, vibrant, alive. This is opposite to the woe, by the way. Remember all the woes that Jesus pronounces on the Pharisees and the scribes? Why does he pronounce woe on them? Because they're hypocrites, right? They only have external righteousness. There's no internal righteousness. They're dead inside, like a dead man's bones inside of a sepulcher, right? They're not thriving. They're withering. They're dying. But that's not the case for those Jesus speaks about here today. They're flourishing and thriving. And who are those that are thriving? It's the persecuted for righteousness' sake. These are the harassed, the oppressed, or even killed because they live a life marked with true inner righteousness. Notice what he doesn't say. It's not the pugnacious people, people who probably deserve scorn because they've got that external in-your-face facade of righteousness, which really just masks internal self-righteousness. He's not talking about them. He's talking about Christians who are mistreated for their godly character and authentic relationship with God, they're thriving, he says. There's a tension here, isn't there? Maybe you feel, how's that possible? Thriving? Persecuted? It's a paradox, something that on its face seems contradictory, but upon further inspection, it actually is quite well-founded. And we need wisdom to understand this. We need Jesus' wisdom, his wise teaching. The rest of verse 10 says, why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Christians persecuted for exhibiting true righteousness are blessed because they are citizens of heaven's kingdom. They're citizens of Jesus' reign. Well, clearly they're not citizens of the world's kingdom, right? The world is the one attacking them. And that's Jesus' point. His point is that you can tell that you're part of the kingdom of heaven if the world's citizens are after you. Jesus says, the kingdom is theirs. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. They possess it. And that calls for joy, brothers and sisters. I'm sure this is very real for some of you in the room here. You feel the world's ire because you love Jesus and you care about what he says is right. And you try to live it out. Maybe it's at your job, or maybe it's at your school, or maybe in your community. Maybe for you, it's the fact that you hold to his view of gender and sexuality. And so you can't hang a certain flag at your desk, or in your locker, or on your jersey. Or you can't be a part of a certain affinity group that celebrates behaviors that God would not have you celebrate. But now HR has decided you're not going to be eligible for this promotion. Quietly, they would never say it out loud quite so much. Or, you're not going to be a starter on our team. Maybe someday. Or maybe people are suing your small business, if you have one. Because to be faithful to Jesus, you cannot celebrate homosexuality. And my wife works at a law firm that today defends clients who take this very stand. There's a baker who's been sued three times because they will not celebrate homosexuality. They don't want to use their gifts to celebrate what God says you ought not to celebrate. Now she also, her, her firm also defends a florist for the same reason. And right now, the Supreme Court is deliberating over a client who, or, uh, over a client who designs websites but will not do it on behalf of 
the homosexual community celebrate their lifestyle. We'll find out how they deliberate and what they decide this summer. If this isn't you yet, it will be. It's coming to you quickly into your sphere, into your world. And the question is, how do we respond under these circumstances? How are we to to navigate this. Well, we need to heed the wisdom of kingdom living, and that's what Jesus is teaching us here. We need to see through the eyes of faith that despite your very real suffering, if this is your circumstance, you're actually thriving. You're actually flourishing. Your suffering shows that God has chosen you out of this world, that he's brought you into his kingdom. This world is the world that promotes sin. It propagates sin. It persecutes whoever will not participate, right? But you don't belong there anymore. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. No, you belong to Jesus' kingdom where all things are being made new. A new heart. New affections. A new king. You're not under the Pharaoh of sin anymore. No, you're under King Jesus. And he says when he's coming back, he's going to make it all right. He's going to set all things in place where they were supposed to be and, and will be. The enemies that are inside of us and outside of us are gone. Not a threat anymore, defeated. Sin, sadness, and tears become memories, fading, distant in the past. Eternal joy and peace, that's what rules now when he comes. And his citizens forevermore have Jesus, their king, dwelling with them. Praise the Lord. I am looking forward to that day, aren't you? I need that day. I need that day today. I need to think about that day now when things like this come to my day. First, rejoice, suffering saint, because you have the kingdom of God. Second, rejoice in persecution because it shows you have his heritage, his heritage. What do I mean by that? Let's work through the next two verses, verses 11 and 12. Starting with verse 11, Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This is an expounding on persecution. We know what utter all kinds of evil against you falsely is, right? Libel, defamation, slander, seeking to ruin reputation or your your name. What's reviling? Reviling is speech that demeans or reproaches. It mocks and insults. You Christians are bigoted, hateful people. You brainwash your kids. You weaponize religion to destroy the lives of others. That's all around us right now. It's all around us. Persecution can also be verbal. It's not just physical, right? And when you experience it on Jesus' account, he says that you're thriving. Because of your loyalty and faithfulness to Jesus, you're being persecuted. Jesus says you're flourishing. Have you ever thought about why this happens? Why the world so disparages and mistreats Christians? I find Paul to be helpful here. He says this, Through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. You may not realize it, but... If you're in Jesus' kingdom, Paul says that you're giving off a scent all the time that others are smelling, and it's the fragrance of God. Have you ever had a roommate that would eat at Subway, and they come home, and you're like, I know where they've been. I can smell that bread that they're always cooking inside the restaurant. 
Or maybe your husband is one who loves pork barrel. And when he comes home, you're like, ribs, brisket too for lunch, right? You smell it on the clothes because it gets in your clothes. It gets in you. When you where we go in the physical world starts to get on us. Well, the same thing is true in the spiritual world in a sense. When you're in God's kingdom, he gets in you. And all of a sudden, it starts fanning all around you, the scent of God. See, God begins changing you, making you more like him. And your life starts to glorify him. Glorify God. We use that phrase a lot. That phrase means to make God known for who he is. And if you're one of God's children, your godly life is going to start making known to the world that God exists, that God is holy, that God is just, and that he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to judge all, and he's going to punish those who are under his wrath, and then he's going to reward those who are found righteous. And to the perishing, that's a stench, because it's a reminder of the path that they're on, this path to destruction. And so they lash out in verbal or physical attack, persecution, which if that's you here today, you're an unbeliever, and you can even remember, I, I do that to people. I want you to know that we're glad you're here. And that, that doesn't have to be your destiny, staying on that path to destruction. Actually, God gives grace today to all who would turn and trust in his son. And I want to talk a little bit more about that in a second, so hold tight with me. But if you're the persecuted Christian, Jesus says, when you experience that, you should celebrate. Celebrate, he says. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Be overjoyed. And this isn't muster up some kind of joy inside because you're Christian and I'm only supposed to be happy all the time, no matter what my circumstances. No, this is a entering into the wisdom of the kingdom of God, heeding Jesus' wisdom, which is to see through the eyes of faith that I exist in a world where the kingdom of God is at hand, but it's here and already and also not yet. It's more to come yet. And in this period of time, there are yet good reasons to rejoice. Jesus gives us two. First, God has stored up for you a substantial reward in heaven. A substantial reward. Your reward is great. He says, your glorifying God draws the world's persecution, right? That's what we're, here, that's what we're talking about. But it also fulfills your greatest purpose. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And as you fulfill that chief purpose, you are one of those well-doing, good, and faithful servants. And God will make whole his faithful servants in eternity, more than whole. Your reward in heaven is great. Why else should you rejoice? Verse 12, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Prophets were God's messengers with whom he had intimate fellowship. Moses talked with him face to face. Samuel had the ear of God. But there are also those against whom the world directed their infernal rage. They tried to kill Moses and Elijah and Elisha and Daniel. And Jeremiah, they cursed him, mocked him, beat him, conspired against, imprisoned him, cast him into a pit, and put him in the stockades. When others persecute you, you can rejoice because it shows you fit right in this continuity of God's faithful, faithful followers, intimately loved by him. Not made a prophet, but held in the same esteem. 
And even as Jesus utters, the, he utters these words, he is the greatest prophet, right? Who endured the worst persecution for his unyielding faithfulness to God. He was hunted as a child, as a baby. He was slandered as a glutton, a drunkard, in league with the devil, they, told, they said of him. He was sought out repeatedly, trying to entrap him in his words and kill him and destroy him. Put on a phony trial, his friends abandoned him. He was mocked and assaulted and crucified and murdered. That's our Lord. Persecuted believer, he knows your path. He knows your path. He endured it to death. And he did it for the joy that was set before him, right? He endured endured the cross, despising the shame. Why? So he could absorb the wrath of God that we deserve. The wrath that we deserve and so he could give us his righteousness in exchange that we might glorify him. And then he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death, so that all, and that includes any unbelievers in here, I'm talking to you too, all who turn from your sin today and trust in Jesus, you get his righteousness, you get his kingdom, you get his heritage, but best of all, you get him. You get him. You can rejoice on your way to that reward at his day when he comes, even loving your enemies. During COVID, Samaritans first opened a field hospital in New York City's Central Park because they were trying to provide relief for this pandemic at the epicenter. The cases were highest there. And there was an article ran that was titled this way, Group Behind Central Park's COVID-19 Field Hospital Run by Anti-Gay Evangelists. The article cited a state senator saying, quote, it's a shame that the federal government has left us in the position of having to accept charity from such bigots. It later mentioned a council speaker calling it extremely disturbing that Franklin Graham and his group were involved in relief efforts. There's a peculiar joy that comes when the world hostily treats you as they did Jesus. You must look a lot like him. What about you? Do people revile you? For Jesus' sake, your coworkers report on you for sharing your faith off hours? Do they mock you because you're committed to prayer when tragedy strikes? Or do family members cut you off because you refuse to use untruthful language? You're called today to resolve in your heart to view this persecution as evidence that God has drawn you out into his kingdom, that you're glorifying God by his grace and that you have a godly heritage and a great reward coming. We have to have that lens through which we can view these things. When we enter into persecution, we need to see the world through that lens, the wisdom of the kingdom of God Jesus invites us to enter. Also, remember that Saul's early church persecution actually affected the scattering of the saints to bring the gospel to the world. And also, when Paul was put in prison, his bonds emboldened the church to be faithful, more faithful. And so, Persecution works against the world's intentions because God reverses the brokenness in his people. These are your gospel weapons, rejoicing and cooperating with the Spirit's work in your life as you do that. And if you're here saying, I'm actually one of those Christian persecutors, God calls you to turn from that path. That is the path of destruction. He has the door wide open for you to come to his kingdom if you'll repent. We can rejoice. Persecuted Christians rejoice because you belong to Jesus. Let's pray together.
Oh God, we need this message in our day. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to see with eyes of faith, not with the way the world has trained us and tried to shape us and mold us, but God, would you give us renewed eyes that we could see what's true. We can flourish and love you as we do that, as we love our enemy, as we walk alongside them and say, though you do this, I will yet love you as my Lord has loved me. Show us, God, Christ, and help us, Lord, to walk in this way. We thank you for your word. We thank you for his word to us in this sermon. We pray that you bless it, multiply it in Jesus' name. Amen.